so welcome, church. Um, I'm glad that you guys are all here. If you're online, too, go ahead and post in the little comments thing. Say good morning. Say hello. Um, and we are glad that we're able to do that kind of thing when technology works right, right? Isn't that right? So, um, so welcome. Um, so uh, first, happy Thanksgiving a couple days early. I know that many of us are getting ready for uh, the Thursday ahead. Um, but I wanted to start out our time today. Um, if you look in your program, we're going to talk about gratitude uh, along those lines. But um, I want to start off today with a question for you all, and this is a chance for you to talk amongst yourself. So I want you to meet a new friend, maybe an old friend too, that's okay too, but somebody seated around you, introduce yourself. And if you're online too, go ahead and post that in the um, chat box. But what Thanksgiving food are you most thankful for? And you can't say turkey, okay? You can't say turkey. It's got to be like the side thing, one of those added um, foods there. So what Thanksgiving food are you most thankful for? We're just going to take just a couple seconds here to do that. So turn around to a neighbor, introduce yourself, share your Thanksgiving food. Okay, everybody, let's, let's get back together here. So I said just a, just a couple of seconds here. So, so go ahead, Hayden, and put those results up on the screen from our very, very formal, non-informal, I guess, online survey to I don't know how many people because we caught, captured this from the internet, the interwebs. Um, how many of you all said stuffing and or dressing as your favorite than you would be in the top half? Apparently, that's a very, very popular item. We have the mashed potato people, mashed taters, right? You can't go wrong with the taters, plenty of butter in there. Sweet potatoes, yeah, sweet potatoes. I'm a sweet potato fan, right? All really good stuff. Cranberry sauce. How about bread or rolls? Did anyone say bread or rolls? Do anybody like make like a special, yeah? Okay, like maybe you have like a special bread or something you share. Green bean casserole. Yeah, there's our veggie people, right? You get your vegetables in a very healthy way, I'm sure. Mac and cheese. Yeah, mac and, all right, we get that. Corn, did anybody say corn? Okay, corn. Anybody say salad? Yeah, salad, okay, salad, no, no judging. Like we said, no judging here, it's all acceptable. You probably have your favorite. Uh, maybe you have some things that were not on this list, but these were what people responded. Um, so, so for many of us, Thanksgiving uh, tends to be a day of um, guiltless eating in some formats. Um, but of course, it's meant to be a day of gratitude. It's meant to be a day of gratitude. And, and isn't it true, just thinking about gratitude as a whole, isn't it true that when good things happen, or even after a rough stretch in life, maybe it's been a couple days, weeks, years, months, whatever it might be, after a rough, rough stretch, isn't it like inside of us to say something to the effect of, thank God, right? Thank goodness, people say, who don't want to say God for whatever reason. For uh, many of us, though, it is literally thank God or thank somebody, right? That it's almost like we can't help it. That there's something inside of us that just wants to shout out and praise like, thank God there's something good here or, or I'm out of that or something has ended or stopped. And 
it's almost like we can't help it. And, and, but the reason I say almost we can't, like we can't help it is because it's not always that way. Around this time of year, we talk about something called an attitude of gratitude, and maybe you've posted that on your own social media. Um, but when it comes to that attitude of gratitude, the question I want to ask today, is that enough? Is it enough? Is an attitude of gratitude enough? Because just an attitude, right, doesn't actually communicate very much to the person or the people or the thing that you're, uh, you're experiencing thankfulness towards. Um, it kind of creates, can create a gap in the relationship if you withhold your gratitude. When you withhold your gratitude, that there creates actually an unfilled space in between someone really experiencing that gratitude and somebody actually feeling the opposite. Did you know that unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced as ingratitude? Think about that for a second. Unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced as ingratitude. And, and ingratitude, ingratitude, if you've ever felt like somebody was not really thankful for something towards you and they didn't express that, it, it hurts, right? When you're not thanked, when you're not appreciated. Um, ingratitude stings because it says, you owed me that, so why would I even thank you for that? Why would I go out of my way to thank you? But it's interesting, it's really odd because the other person really didn't do anything to us. They just didn't do anything. But other times, ingratitude can be actually expressed, and, and maybe you've done this before, I know I have. You do for something for somebody, and uh, they come to you and they say, you didn't do it right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, nice, right? You chose the wrong color, you didn't do it to their expertise, and they point out the uncomfortable thing, they express their ingratitude towards you going out of your way to help. But none of us, though, really want to speak up about it when it's at that point, when somebody should be expressing their gratitude and they're really not, and nobody really wants to say something like, hey, what about a thank you every once in a while? Maybe you do say that, but, but you kind of hold back from saying that because uh, when the other person says, I'm sorry, when they realize their mistake, um, what we hear is, I'm sorry, Mr. or Mrs. little baby who needs constant reassurance and affirmation. That's what tends to happen. But if ever somebody accuses you of being ungrateful, your reaction is probably first to get defensive, right? To get defensive, because if somebody expressed that to you, hey, what about a thank you every once in a while, what is the, your gut reaction to say back? What would you say back? but I am grateful, right? I am grateful, which is translated, but I am grateful on the inside. I just didn't do anything about it. The only difference between gratitude and what someone experiences as ingratitude is that gap between the in. But we also have to realize that both gratitude and ingratitude can go a long way. It can go a long way in friendships and relationships um, a number of years ago, I was guest preaching at a church, and you know, it was there Sunday morning, and then afterwards, the, the pastor, staff, uh, we all went out to lunch, and we went to Pizza Hut. And I remember this very sharply because of what happened. I remember sitting at Pizza Hut, and it was a busy place, and the waitress was also very busy, 
And at some point, she was carrying too much, and a cup fell of a drink that the, the pastor of the church um, had ordered, and he, like, shook his head like that, and she was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me go back and get another one. Um, the food that, that we'd ordered didn't come out right, and everybody's looking at their watch, and it was just, there was a lot of things that went wrong. Well, at the end of the meal, you know, I'm getting ready to pay. He's like, no, 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 of course, you know, this is part of the church's treat. Thanks for coming and speaking. I saw when he took that bill and he wrote like that little part that, you know, you could pay your credit card, you pay what the tip was. He put $2. Yeah, this is the pastor of the church. Yeah, I'm not telling him who this was actually. But, um, but and I remember just like, like, I didn't even intend to look, but I saw like him write like a 2.00. And I'm thinking like, I mean, there was a table of at least eight or 10 of us there. And he tipped her $2. And I was like, well, I was going to say something, and then I didn't. And, but for years, that has stuck with me, that memory of ingratitude. I mean, whatever was going on. She was having a hard day. It was a crazy, busy situation. That was the only thing I actually remember from preaching at that church and the lunch. It's interesting how ingratitude sticks with you, but also gratitude sticks with you too. When I was starting out in ministry, I was uh, serving at a, at a church on the eastern shore of Maryland, and, and at that point in my journey, I was getting ready to leave that church and to move to Virginia to go to seminary full-time. And I remember the day before I was uh, getting ready to leave, one of the youth from my youth group slipped me a little note, and um, I tried, I have it somewhere, I didn't actually find it, but she slipped me this little note, and she said, Pastor Chris, thank you for noticing me. Thank you for noticing me and bringing me into the fold. She said, I never would have gone to church hadn't it been for you. And I remember like reading that and like, oh my gosh, like what an impact that had on me, especially as like a young in my ministry and I knew all the discouragements that were ready to come up ahead and that kind of thing. I remember for years looking at that little note in my Bible that I kept and being encouraged by it and remembering, okay, I, ha I have made a difference. It's amazing how far gratitude and ingratitude can go. But the point of today's discussion for our purposes is really that idea that unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced by the other person as ingratitude. And there's a famous narrative from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke that shares a very, very interesting story that maybe you have heard before, and we're going to read that today from Luke chapter 17. And, and it's a story that's unique to Luke's Gospel, by the way. It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke tells us, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border from between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Let's just pause there. So here's a, a map of the kind of location, if you want to be familiar with this. This is in between Samaria and Galilee, a very sparsely populated region. It's really like the middle of nowhere. Everyone knows that I make jokes about Perry County, right? So this is in like dead center, Perry County, like you're in the backwoods in the backcountry. I love y'all if you're born, raised there, live there. Um, but, but the people that had leprosy, they actually called that area home in the middle of nowhere. They called that home because they had to keep away from the rest of society. It was told that people with leprosy weren't dead, but they couldn't really live. 
They watched everybody else live their lives. See, in ancient times, leprosy was considered highly contagious, a disease. We know today that it's actually caused by a bacterium, but they didn't know that. And so they knew that you had to stay away from them because they're really, really sick. And the sickness of leprosy, people that are affected with it, don't experience pain the way that we experience pain. That it results in injuries and, and kind of a deterioration of the body over time that's left when it's left untreated. And so the law, the Jewish law, required that those with leprosy live on the outskirts of town in a very designated area. And this is in between Galilee and Samaria. And it was also said that any time that lepers would come towards civilization, or even maybe traveling people that are in their travels, they had to warn people that they were approaching. They had to call out. And so, consequently, lepers were living in their own communities. So it really comes as no surprise to Luke's first century audience here, as he's writing this, that this community of lepers were really like eking out an existence in this remote area between a predominantly Jewish territory and the area that's inhabited mostly by Samaritans, who were kind of the, believed to be the knockoff religious people, the not really Jewish, the semi-Jewish people. And, and we, can, we discover that this particular group of people that were living here was comprised of both Jews and Samaritans, two, two groups. And if you've read anything else in, in the scriptures or heard a sermon about the good Samaritan, and, and maybe you've learned before that Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. People would actually go miles out of their way to avoid Samaria. And yet, this is a group of people that come together all because they have leprosy, who comprise of both Jews and Samaritans, two groups who wanted nothing to do with each other politically or religiously. And isn't it interesting that pain, suffering, alienation often have a way of minimizing the differences and divisions between us? Even today, I read an article about Eastern Poland and about how the Poles and Ukrainians really haven't gotten along for a long, long time, and yet they're working together, and that those, those barriers, those things that had separated them, that have actually gone away, and so they're working together to help people and come together, and that's similar to what was happening here. They were helping one another. See, you would notice, though, that as, as this is happening, as Jesus and his entourage are encountering this group, that we notice that they call out, as was they were supposed to do by law, they were supposed to call out, but their response to Jesus is, Jesus, Master, Master. And they call out to him, they've heard about this Jesus and about what he can do and what he's done in other people's lives, and they call it, have pity on us. And it's really unusual, the term, Master, Master is, is pretty much a term that's reserved in the scriptures only for those who are continuous followers of Jesus, like the disciples. It's one of the few times that those outside the fold are actually calling Jesus master. Isn't that very interesting, right? And they expect Jesus, just as everybody else who has passed them by, they expect Jesus to tell them to go, to go away, to leave, to get out of the way, but surprise, scripture tells us when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourselves to the priests to which they must have thought, what the, right? Like, what's going on here? Nobody 
ever really spoke to them, first of all. Nobody was ever really happy to see them, but go show yourselves to the priests. See, Jesus, in what he's saying here, he has a triple intent that here. The first is that according to the law, according to the law, anyone with a skin disease, especially thinking about leprosy, they had to be quarantined. They had to be told to get away. If you were sick in any way, you had to be quarantined, kind of like what we've experienced with COVID in a way. And you had to get out of the area. And in order to get back in society, you had to go to a priest to affirm that you were well. And you were given an all clear. So I kind of like to think of this as like the rapid test, right? The priest. The priest is the rapid test. In order to re-enter society, if you've been healed in any way, shape, or form, then you have to go to the priest, and the local priest would give the all clear. And so the implication here that Jesus is making is he's saying them to go to the priest, which they would have heard as, I'm going to be healed on the way, and by the time I get to the priest, he's not going to see any illness. Why on earth would he send me to the priest if there wasn't some experience of healing? But the second thing, the second thing, when 10 lepers, remember this is a group, this isn't just one individual, when 10 healed lepers would show up at the priest's office, what do you think would come out of the priest's mouth, right? Like how, right? How? How did this happen? A totally unprecedented event, a miracle, which again would add to Jesus' reputation. See, it would be impossible to argue that something extraordinary hadn't happened. But the third piece here was to show their willingness. Their willingness to go would be an expression of their extraordinary faith in Jesus. See, if nothing had changed along the way, imagine that. If they had not listened to Jesus, if they did not listen to his words and follow them, if, if nothing had changed on the way and they showed up at the priest's office and lo and behold, they're the same as was before, it would make a total fool of the lepers. They'd probably be even greater outcasts and they would even be punished at that point. There was a lot at stake. So I want to ask you, just pause here for a minute. If you were in their situation, what would you do? What would you do? If Jesus said, well, go show yourselves to the priests, implying that, okay, along the way, he's gonna be he you're going to be healed. Has God ever nudged you and you followed without knowing how it was all going to turn out? Has God ever nudged you in a direction and you didn't know the end of the story? You didn't know what was going to happen in that road between that first encounter and the office, and yet you went anyway. See, they went. They went, not because any of it made any sense, but because it was Jesus who told them to go. See, verse 14 continues, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. After he said, go, show yourselves to the priests, they obeyed, they followed. As they went, they were cleansed. They literally walked by faith, literally. And we tend to throw around that phrase very figuratively. But they responded to the promise and the prompting of Jesus before they knew the outcome. Right? It's kind of mind-boggling. That's what it means to walk by faith. But then, then what happens, there's a twist in this story. And this is the reason why we're even talking about this. Verses 15 to 16. When one of them, when he saw that he was healed, holy cow, he came back. He came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. 
And guess what, guys? He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He was not content to feel grateful. He came back and showed it. And think about it. As much as he was probably ready to to be well and get back to living among the living, something that was totally cut off from him before, as much as he had wanted to put all of the past behind him, uh, he knew that he had to close the gratitude loop to come back and thank Jesus. Karl Barth, theologian, says it like this, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice in echo. Gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. And the word that's used here, thanked him, is this little Greek word, eucharisteion, from which, interesting enough, we get the word eucharist. It's a word that has the roots of, of thankfulness or in, and actually grace, this root of charis, or charity is another form that we kind of get from that. But it's this response of thanksgiving to God's grace. But it's expression of our reception of grace. See, the, this one leper did what we all need to do. He went back. He went back to thank the one who had enabled him to move forward. And, and who was he? He was a Samaritan, and the implication here is that the other nine were probably not. They were probably closer in religiosity to Jesus' upbringing and to the disciples' upbringing. And this kind of seemingly very unimportant detail is so important because Luke's entire gospel shows us that Jesus' encounters with, with people that the first century audience would have never expected Jesus to have anything to do with. Well, guess what, guys? He flies in the face of that. Instead, he associates himself over and over and over. And guess what? It was the outsiders who expressed the most gratitude. But the story continues. Because Jesus responds. Jesus asks, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan? And if you've ever studied a foreign language, you know that that the wording often is much different than our English, that certain positions of words, whether it's in Spanish or French or German, in this case Greek, that the positions of the words actually matter, that you can say the very same thing, but just by having a verb towards the beginning of the sentence makes a difference on the emphasis. Well, literally, Jesus says in the Greek, he says, the nine, where? The nine, where? The nine, where? He's emphasizing the nine. The nine. Jesus is making a really stinging observation. Where? Where are they? They're missing. It's a missed moment. It's a missing opportunity. And for many of us, you know, you can think back to the time, maybe growing up, uh, somebody gave you a gift, and maybe one of your parents or grandparents or guardians immediately said what when the person gave you the gift? Say Thank you, right? Say thank you. As in, right now, say thank you. Like, don't wait to say thank you, but right now, say thank you. And this is Jesus' point. This is Jesus' point because when we read the story many times, though, we often respond the way that Jesus did. We judge harshly. We say, well, where are the others, right? We think about that same way, but, but I imagine, though, I think this is interesting, I imagine if 
you or I had gone to the other nine, wherever they were. You know, they're celebrating, they're at the restaurant, they're hanging out, they're having high fives and all kinds of things, uh, uh, home going for lots, a lot of them, seeing their houses for the first time in, in many, many years. Um, you know, if any of us had gone to them, to the other nine, and we went to them and said, hey, aren't you grateful? What do you think they would have replied? Absolutely. I think they were grateful. I think they would have said, what? Well, you know, we are grateful. We're so grateful. We're having a party, right? Come and join us. We're having a lot of really good time. But the problem was they didn't express it. They didn't go back. Jesus reiterates the thankful one is the foreigner, and he's affirming that the upper le other lepers, they were probably Galileans like Jesus, and he would have expected them even more so to express gratitude to God. Then he said to him, Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Well, just looking and reflecting on this story, three observations that I've made. The first is unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. You've experienced it, you've done it, I've done it. Telling, to, and also just a warning, telling other people how grateful we are for someone else, that doesn't count. You know, we're very good at that. You tell, you tell your friend, like, I'm so grateful for, for her. You know, you tell, uh, you know, you tell your spouse, I'm so grateful for my boss. I'm so grateful. Like, that doesn't count. It's still experienced and communicated as ingratitude. And the closer that you are to someone, the greater tendency is this to happen. But it doesn't actually close the loop between the gratitude and the word in. The second piece is that ingratitude to most of us feels like rejection. When somebody doesn't thank us, when we go out of our way to help, we go the extra mile, it feels like rejection. And for many of us on the flip side who don't express our gratitude, you know, we think the thoughts, well, it's what they signed up to do, it's what they're supposed to do. But the problem is, you may keep their hands, but you'll never have that person's heart or friendship in any way. But the last piece, gratitude is evidence that you have life in proper perspective. That you see things, you th see what you have, you see people as gifts from God, even the things that you didn't get or that you didn't really, really receive in the way that you wanted to. The message of ingratitude is this, that I could have done this and made it here without you. So I want us to be really honest. Is expressing your gratitude difficult for you? Are you more comfortable? Are we more comfortable pointing out faults? And if so, have we ever really discovered why? For many of us, gratitude and expressing it feels like an admission of our weakness, that we needed help. But guess what, guys? We did. You did. You needed help. I needed help. See, it comes hand in hand with our need for God in our lives, to thank him. And in the wake of our progress, our success, and when we look in our rear view professionally, academically, financially, relationally, athletically, you look back and you see that there are dozens and dozens of people that God connected you to who facilitated that. And admitting what they did and saying thank you is called maturity. It's evidence that we've let go of an inflated, unhealthy sense of independence, that we would not be where we are without them, and that's okay. So back to Luke's account for just a moment. 
What would it look like to be the one rather than the nine? What would it look like for you? Who helped you move forward? Who are you glad that God put in your life? But have you gone back? Have you gone back? And I mean, yes, maybe you pay them. (laughs) Maybe you're married to them. Maybe it's mom. Maybe it's dad. Maybe it's grandma. Maybe it's your sister. But have you expressed gratitude? And have you said thank you to God for the little things, for the blessings, for pulling you through? And you may think it, you may feel it, but have you expressed it? And if not, why not? And I want to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you today that in the time after we come back from the table, or maybe even it's before then, if you have your phone with you, and once again, you kind of have to do this like right here and now, maybe there's someone that you need to thank today. I want you to, if you have a phone, take it out. Maybe you're a, a letter or card writer or something, and you, know, you can do that later on. But in, but in the time between now and when we leave here today, I want you to send a text to somebody and thank them. Somebody that you haven't talked to, somebody who is in your life that impacted you, helped you get to where you are, just to say thank you. You can say the pastor told me to do it, too, if you really need to. (laughs) But just to say thank you. I was thinking of you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for what you've done for me. You know, what would it take? What would it take to decide that this entire story that is about, what about being the one rather than the nine?